Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, October 17, 2021. It focuses on Jesus' empathy when we're tempted and his compassion when we face difficulties. The message to all who will listen is Jesus is worthy of worship. Now here is Pastor Mike Neifert. All right, let's pray together. God, thanks that you are here and that you are more than able to speak to us. I pray that you would do your work in my life and in the life of each person who's hearing my voice, that your spirit would be speaking in and through and around and behind and above and below and everywhere. I just pray, God, that you would be present and that your word would accomplish your purposes. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in my office, I have five marathon medals hanging from pins on a bulletin board. Four are from the Garmin Marathon in Olathe, Kansas, and one is from the Utah Valley Marathon in Provo, Utah. These bangles remind me of the hard work and hours of training that went into getting ready for each of the marathons that I've run. Early in the morning, day after day, I ran hundreds and hundreds of miles getting ready for the four marathons that I've run. You're a little puzzled by the math, right? Five medals, four marathons. Well, let me explain how the math works here. Last year and this year, I participated virtually in the Garmin Marathon. In 2020, I did this because that was the only option there was. They shut down the race. They said, we're not going to reschedule, so you can run virtually, or you can have your fees put off to the next year. The theme for the Garmin Marathon is Oz, and I had Dorothy, and I had the Tin Man, I think, or maybe it was the, the Scarecrow. Some I had two of those, and I wanted the medal to complete the set, so I went ahead and I ran that virtually. And I got the shirt and the medal and all that kind of stuff. 2020, that was the only option. Then, this year, I was planning to run in April, and they rescheduled the marathon. It is going to be run in person on the same weekend that my niece is getting married in Delaware. I can't be in Olathe, Kansas, and in Delaware at the same time, so I chose this time to make sure I got the full set, Tin Man, Lion, and Scarecrow. I had to choose the virtual option again. And so a week or so later, after I had chosen that, I got the t-shirt and the medal in the mail. I hadn't run yet. <laughs> in early June, I pulled out that Oz-themed shirt that I'd gotten from the folks in Olathe, the one with the cowardly lion on it, and I took that, put it on, and ran 26.2 miles in Provo to complete the Utah Valley Marathon. And I counted that race as my virtual marathon for Garmin as well. Four marathons, five medals, you have the math now. Some having heard that explanation may question my integrity. I mean, I guess hanging five medals up when you've only run four races might be considered a little dishonest. I assure you, deceit was not my intent. My intent was to not have to run five marathons. And so maybe it's a flaw in my character that I did so without the slightest bit of shame. 
Obviously, I'm not trying to hide anything. God knows what happened. I know what happened. Now all of you know what happened. The cat's out of the bag. But I haven't told you every story that I could in illustrating that I'm not always perfect in the way that I do things. I've given you a relatively safe tale that probably didn't raise a lot of eyebrows. I just explained that I just didn't feel like running the fifth marathon. They already sent me the thing in the mail, so here we are. But I didn't reveal, and I haven't revealed, my deepest, darkest secrets. The minor issue that I've outed is a bit shady, I suppose. It's nothing compared to that which remains undisclosed. Am I saying that I'm so flawed that I shouldn't teach the church? No, I'm simply saying that my past is as checkered as anybody's. That I struggle with sin just the same. I've been dishonest, I've harmed others, I've messed up, and I continue to do so. I am by no means deserving of God's grace any more than anybody else is. I can only stand in awe and give thanks to God who chose to offer his grace to us through faith in Jesus Christ. I am righteous only because God has made me so. What little good I do is done by his spirit working in me. If I'm patient, it's God. If I'm kind, it's God. If I'm gentle, it's God. Definitely, if I'm self-controlled, that's God. And if you're honest with yourself, you know that the same is true for you. All the compassion that you show, it's God's. All the gentleness, all the joy, everything that, that shows the Spirit, that's from Him. You and I are men and women of integrity only in as much as we are submitted to God and His kingdom and living in His Spirit's power. It is the life of Jesus in us, lived out through actions, which brings God glory. Today we're going to begin a several weeks journey through the book of Mark. This is the Bible's second retelling of Jesus' time on earth, though as far as when it was written, it was likely before Matthew in time. But with one week off for family wedding and another for Thanksgiving and probably more than one to remember Christ's birth as we get near Christmas, we're going to go well into next year and in looking at the book of Mark. What I want us to hear from Mark is going to be different than what we were focused on as we looked at the book of Matthew. As we turn the pages of Mark one by one and hear what Mark has to say about Jesus, we're going to look more closely at Jesus' character than we are going to look at how we might apply things to our lives. Not that there won't be any points of application. Obviously, knowing who Jesus is inside will change us and, and challenge us to make ourselves more like him and to be more like him in character as well. We'll be shown reason after reason as well to, to worship him. And worship is application, worshiping Jesus for who he is. My hope is this. You and I will fall in love with the God who loved us enough to send his son to die for us and to rescue us. And we're going to worship the one who paid the price for our salvation. My plan is each week to read each new chapter in its entirety and then to note with you the clues about what Jesus is like and I want us to read all of Mark together because we all need more not less exposure to scripture. So each week we're going to read the entire chapter and I'm going to invite a different person each week to read that. So if you're willing to do that, please let me know. In 1 Timothy 4:11 to 16, Paul gives instructions to preachers and this is what he says. 
Command and teach these things. Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Reading the Bible with you and thinking about its implications, doing my best to set a Christ-like example using my gifts and encouraging you to use yours, following Jesus together, that's what it means to be a pastor in a church together. That's what it's all about. And we're to devote ourselves to the public reading, not just the private reading, but the public reading of Scripture. Scripture has to be our focus. Otherwise, we can just say whatever we want and go wherever we want, and we'll get into all sorts of trouble. There's a lot of churches that have already done that. So we're not going to be one of those. We're going to stay focused on God and on his word. And so this morning, we're going we're gonna to read Mark chapter 1, and I have somebody who's volunteered to do that. And we're going to see who Jesus is and how he acts, what his character's like. And then after we've read the chapter, we're going to talk about the things that stood out to me this week. They may be different than the things that you notice as you read through. That may be God's message to you. So make sure that you're paying attention as we go through Mark chapter 1. And I'm going to invite our friend Sue to come and read that for us. In the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out with him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Baptize you with water, he will baptize you with Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. 
At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat and with the hired men and followed him. They went into Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teachings because he had taught them as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. But then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy has come up to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and the other sacrifices that Moses commanded for you, cleansing and testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk, freely spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter the town, opening but stayed outside in the lonely places, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Thank you. Appreciate that. I love how Mark lays all his cards on the table in the very first sentence of his story about Jesus. You know from the very get-go that he believes that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Let me focus on the Son of God part first. Since Jesus is God's Son, we can discern from other passages about God what Jesus must be like and vice versa. Jesus shows us by his actions and through his words 
what God is like. There's an interesting conversation between Jesus and Thomas that's recorded for us in John chapter 14. Early in this conversation, Jesus speaks his famous, I am the way, the truth, and the life words. He speaks those things out, but there's more than that in this chapter. Jesus connects himself in the next words to God the Father in a way that's unmistakable. So let me read the back and forth between Jesus and Thomas in John 14, 1 to 10. We're just going to cover those first 10 verses just to see what Jesus says about himself and his relationship to the Father. So listen to John chapter 14, verses 1 through 10. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now there's another character. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. The message for those who are seeking salvation is clear. You can't get salvation except through the Son. He is the only way to the Father. But don't miss the other truth. When you see the Son at work, you see what the Father is doing. When you hear the Son speak, you hear the Father's words. He's speaking what his Father is saying. You've got to keep all of this in mind as we go through the book of Mark or as you're reading any of the Gospels. When you hear what Jesus says and when you see what Jesus is doing, it's the Father. They're one. Jesus is communicating. We saw him go off and, and pray in that solitary place and the disciples went looking for him and said, hey, you got to come back. Now, he needed to spend time with his father. We see that. And so we're going to see what the father's like as we watch Jesus. We're going to know what Jesus is like. At times, we're going to go and look at what the father does so that we understand what his character is like. All right, so now that we've established that Jesus is the son of God, let's go back and talk about the Messiah thing. The word Messiah simply means the one who is anointed with oil. It was in Israel a picture of those who were set apart for a task. Often it was a priest or a prophet or a king who was anointed. They were set apart specifically to be used and designated by God for a certain position. It later came to be used specifically to designate the deliverer that God had promised to come and rescue his people. So if Jesus is, as Mark states, the Messiah, his readers can expect him to save the people of Israel in some way, does he deliver? You know he does. The entire New Testament speaks of Jesus' rescuing work. Jesus saves, and he saves, thankfully, 
more than just Jews. He saves the whole world, those who will believe on him. Just to make sure that you and I are on the same track going forward, the character traits we see in Jesus' actions and words are God the Father's character traits as well. We learn about the character of God when we learn about Jesus' character. So let's look now at what happens to Jesus, what he does, how he reacts to what's going on around him. Now the first thing that caught my attention was Jesus dealing with temptation in the wilderness. Mark doesn't give us all the details that we saw in Matthew and which the other Gospels give us. There's no specifics about how Satan tested Jesus here. Mark just says, as you see it in verse 13, that Jesus was in the wilderness or the desert for 40 days being tempted. So if Mark's account is all we have to go on, the question we must answer is, how did Jesus fare in this spiritual battle? Did he resist or did he give in? Mark doesn't tell us, but the testimony of the rest of the New Testament is loud and clear, and the verdict is Jesus wins, not Jesus sins. There's this verse in Hebrews, which I love. It's Hebrews 4.15. It tells us what Mark doesn't. Let me read it along with the verses on either side of it for context. Here is what the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 4.14-16. through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus faced temptation and won. You might think, well, of course he won. He's God's son. But remember Jesus is 100% man. At the same time, he's 100% God. He faced the same tests that we face, and he resisted. He therefore knows what we're going through when we're tempted, and he can empathize, and he can show us the way of escape. When we are tempted, we can cry out to Jesus, and he will help us. Two or three things we learn about Jesus' character here. He's holy, without sin, that is. He is empathetic, perhaps more so since he took on flesh. He gets us, understands our weaknesses because he knows what we're going through. He is merciful and offers grace and we can be confident that he will be merciful and gracious in all circumstances toward us. I think we often underestimate how much God loves us. We think he maybe just kind of tolerates us, that he really wishes he could strike us dead, but he's bound himself over to being nice because Jesus, you know, that's not the God that you find in the Bible. He sent his son to become one of us in order to save us from sin, which has separated us from God. He wants you and me and every person that we know to be rescued from sin and to be in relationship with him. He wants to restore that closeness and intimacy that Adam and Eve had with him in Eden. Let me cover one last episode. I want to go back to verse 41. If we were reading in the New, New International Version, you would have caught this in verse 41. And I was reading along this week in the New, New International Version, and it says that Jesus was indignant. When Sue read it, it said, filled with compassion. Jesus did this. Why in the world would Jesus be indignant? 
When I read that, I thought, that is really weird. That seems out of character. What is it about this man's request that made him angry or annoyed? Nothing I could see would make any sense out of that. The word in my mind makes Jesus look like he's just doing the wrong thing. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not that I think Jesus should never be indignant. Later in Mark chapter 10, we'll see him indignant when the disciples try to keep the kids away and say, ah, don't bother the, the teacher. And Jesus looks at them and said, come on, guys, let the kids come to me. Let me bless them. And of course, there are plenty of things that the religious leaders did that kept people from coming into the kingdom of God. It was and is right to be indignant about such things. But here, all this guy does is ask for healing from a disease that made his life a living hell. He isn't pushy or anything. He just says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. What's there to get huffy about? And I was puzzled in part because I didn't remember ever reading this verse in this way. It seemed odd, out of place, different. It turns out there's a good reason for that feeling. Most modern translations use the turn of phrase, which is completely different than this version's. There were three or four which followed the new, new international version and gave that sense of Jesus being incensed or angry, but this is the minority report. All the other versions use words like moved with compassion, filled with compassion, moved with pity. When I read those translations, I go, yeah, that's what I remember. Jesus is compassionate toward those who suffer. When you're sick, he cares. When you're threatened, he cares. When you're anxious, he cares. When you're persecuted, he is moved deeply in his spirit. He cares for his children. And haven't you known that compassion? You've experienced it, haven't you? And you're grateful to him? Jesus is who we're focusing on here. We want to know him, who he is, what he's like. Today we've seen God's Son show us what the Father is like. He's holy, without sin. He's empathetic. He's able to help us when we face temptation. He gives us mercy and grace every single time we need it and every single time we don't deserve it. And similarly, he is compassionate. He's moved by our troubles. Mark doesn't record the story of Lazarus' resurrection, but John does. And when he tells the story, he gives us this. Jesus wept. He did so because he was deeply moved in his spirit. I don't know how you don't love a God, a holy God, who is deeply moved by our struggles, by our struggle to overcome sin, and who is compassionate with every kind of difficulty. I think that gives us something to honor Jesus about. So think about these things. That God is holy and without sin, and yet he loves us and is deeply moved by our struggle to overcome sin. We have a God who is merciful and gracious and compassionate. I want to encourage you as we take just a few moments in silence to take your struggles and your difficulties and your health concerns and whatever else to God the Father, to God the Son, and to the Spirit, and let the Spirit do his work in you to give you peace. And let God the Father and Jesus do the work that needs to be done. Let's worship him. Father, thanks for sending your son, Jesus. We thank you that you sent him in love so that we could have salvation. 
But more than that, we thank you that in his arrival on the scene and his living as a man that he helped us see your empathy and your compassion. We thank you that you've been merciful toward us and gracious toward us. God, help us to be merciful and gracious toward others. Help us to live out a life of compassion toward others. And God, we recognize that we are not without sin. So God, I pray that you would keep us from judging others when they sin in different ways than we do, and instead repent of our own sin. We know that your kingdom has come, and we want to submit to you as king. God, I pray your blessing upon your people this week. Amen. Well, let me close by reading some words that we read earlier. This is Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Hear them again and be encouraged. This is how we should live. Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God cares when you're weak, when you're tempted. He will help you. May you experience his compassion and his mercy and his grace this week. God bless you all. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.